We're in chapter 16 in Kings 2. We're learning about King Ahaz. And King Ahaz uh, is doing a lot of damage in these last verses. Besides being a, uh, a national disaster on a national level, he's also bringing in a lot of uh, foreign uh, ideas into the, king, the kingdom of Judea. And we saw in the last Shi'ur that he actually replicates the altar that he saw in Damascus. He's so in, enthralled by this altar that he makes one just like it and he replicates it and puts it in the temple and uses that altar as the altar for all the, all the uh, offerings. And so that's what we saw in the last year. And um, let's continue now. What kind of damage is Echaz going to do further to the holy temple, the first temple? And so it says now in uh, verse 17, So it says that Achaz cut off the inserts of the laver stands. So the mechanot are these stands uh, that would, on these stands, you would put the lavers on them. They were copper stands, and there were 10 of them. Solomon built 10 stands, okay, and 10 lavers and 10 menorahs. So Solomon actually um, uh, made the temple so fancy. Of course, there were deep secrets to why he made 10 menorahs instead of one, and 10 water basins and lavers instead of one, but the Mishkan only had one. The, the second temple only had one, but Solomon was so grandoise that he has 10 of these and Ahaz takes these stands that hold the lavers and he cuts the, the frame of it and then he removed the lavers from upon them. So you have these stands that sitting in the temple, 10 of them, and Ahaz goes off and cuts off the incense and he puts the lavers on the floor. So you got these lavers, these water basins, without a base, without the mechonot. The Michonot, of course, here are the stands for them. We're going to try to understand what's going on in a minute. We continue in this verse. What else did he do? It says, um, Yam, remember the Yam? It's called the sea. This was another incredible um, monstrosity that Solomon built. It was something that was only special to the first temple. The sea was that, it was called the Yam in Hebrew. It was that, um, that giant... Um, cast of metal it was called the sea of cast metal and it was basically this giant tank and under the tank holding it up with 12 bronze oxen four in each direction south west east and north and on these on the backs of these 12 oxen you had this giant thing called the sea uh which was a big tank like a giant pot with water in it and what is what does he do here it says took the sea and he took that, that big tank off the copper cattle that were underneath it. They were holding up the tank. He took away the cows, the oxen. And he, what did he do? And he put that on the floor too. So he takes the uh, tank, puts it on the floor. What's he doing here? And what's it all about? Let's try to understand. Well, according to the Datsofrim, the great commentator, uh, modern commentator, he says, don't try to understand too much because it could be that Achaz is just out of his mind. There's no rhyme or reason what he's doing. He's just crazy. Terufadat. That's how they explain Achaz. But um, other possibilities, though, is maybe he's, maybe he's cutting up these kelim and, and taking away the oxen and the bronze oxen. Maybe he wants to sell them. We know that he's bribing nations who threaten him. 
He was bribing uh, the king of Assyria with the treasuries of the temple and so forth. So maybe he's cutting up the the um, the, the vessels here to make money on it. Now, another deeper understanding to try to understand what, what is going on. Think about it. What do you use these lavers for? And the, and the sea, this giant tank. They're water, uh, they're, they're water vessels, basically, for the priests to wash their hands and their feet when entering the sanctuary. It's a matter of tumavatara. It's a matter of the purity laws. The Jews have to stay pure, uh, spiritually pure, the, the priests. And they would do nitilat yadayim. They would wash their hands with these lavers and with using the water from the sea as well. So he is maybe um, rebelling against the laws of purity. By the way, the tank, some say is a mikvah. That giant sea was like a mikvah. And when he separated the tank from the oxen, he was cutting off the water source, detaching it from the source of those oxen. And so what he's doing is he's invalidating this mikvah. So on both counts, we're talking about a rebellion against the laws of Tumavitara, purity and impurity. And why would he rebel against it? I'm not sure. But we know that his son Chizkiyahu was famous uh, because in his day, he was so righteous. It says that the Jewish people were so uh, righteous that they were so uh, wise, they even knew the intricacies of the laws of Tumavatara, which are difficult laws. So maybe Chizkiyahu was trying to compensate for what his father Achaz did. Okay, what other damage did Achaz do? Verse 18. So he removed the canopy, which is the Sabbath canopy. What's that? Well, near the temple, right next to it, you had this, what they call the Sabbath canopy, and that's where the Kohanim, when they were not on duty, it's a place where they would get shelter, take some shade during their downtime when they weren't on their mishmeret, on their watch, that was a place they would stay. He, for some reason, took away that canopy. And what else did he do? And this is an interesting alteration he did. He said that the entrance from the king's outside, he had an outside entrance to his palace that went and led to the, to the uh, temple. He switched it. That's what the verse says. So what's happening? Well, first of all, we've talked before about this entrance that goes from the king's palace to the temple. The king did not live far from the temple. And we mentioned in a couple of uh, episodes this entrance. And this entrance was super fancy, okay? Because if you go back to also when Solomon built the temple, in Kings 1, it says in chapter 10, when the queen of Sheba visited Solomon and she was so uh, impressed by Solomon's wisdom, but she was also impressed by the, the beauty of the temple. It says in verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5, and the passageway by which he ascended to the temple of Hashem, she was overwhelmed. That's what the verse says. She was overwhelmed by this passageway. So Ahaz takes this passageway and kind of messes it up and switches it around. It says, why? Because of the king of Assyria. Now, what is that all about? Well, according to um, Rashi and Mitzvah David, Ahaz was concerned that if the king of Assyria would take a visit to the temple, would come to Jerusalem, and he'd see the beauty of the temple and the beautiful vessels, he would be so impressed he might want to ravage the temple, he might want to go after Ahaz, maybe attack Ahaz. So Ahaz is kind of laying low. He's concealing himself 
his uh, entranceway from the palace to the temple. Um, okay, now we're going to sign off here on Achaz. And the rest of the deeds of Achav that he did. They're written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judea. So we don't have the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judea. We just have the regular book of Chronicles, which we uh, dipped into a little bit. Now, besides the Chronicles, there's a lot of uh, words of the sages from the oral traditions about Achaz. And I want to read one of them. And this is in Breshit Rabbah 42, Midrash Rabbah, Breshit Rabbah 42. It says the following. Achaz said, if there are no goats, there will be no rams. If there is no flock, there will be no shepherd. Where will the, where will the world be? So what do you say? If there are no masters, there will be no students. If there are no students, there will be no sages. And if there's no Torah, there will be no shuls and study halls. What did he do? He passed all the synagogues and study halls and he sealed them. And that's why he's called Achaz from the word to seize. One of the translation of the word Achaz is to seize. So according to that Midrash, Achaz was very much ideologically driven in what he did. It wasn't just a matter of um, appeasing the Gentiles. We see here that he was wicked. L'shem Shemaim is provoking Hashem with what he did. And um, let's now, one more verse. Verse 20, this is how we sign off. It says, Vayishkav Achav imavotav, Achaz imavotav, and Achaz slept with his forefathers. Vayikaber imavotav. And he was buried with his forefathers, Be'ir David, in the city of David. Vichizkiyahu ben Otachtav. And his son Chizkiyahu reigned in his stead. Vayimloch Chizkiyahu, Baktav. Vayimloch means he reigned. From the word Melech, we make it into a verb. And we say Yimloch. He was uh, succeeded by Chizkiyahu. Okay, so even though it says he was buried, it doesn't look like anything unusual happened. You'd be su- surprised to see that in Masechet Psachim, uh, page, uh, I think it's page 56, Psachim, it says that Chizkiyahu, the son of Achaz, Girer Atzamot Shalaviv, he dragged the bones of his father, Achaz, uh, so to atone for the sins of Achaz, his son Chizkiyahu dragged his bones like a burial of a donkey. Now that's amazing. Uh, after all, you're supposed to, uh, to respect your father, Kiburav, it's one of the Ten Commandments. But if the father is blatantly evil, I guess you don't have to. I don't guess, that's halacha. You don't have to. And apparently Chizkiyahu wanted to show, display to the people, that he does not like the direction his father went in. So it says, he dragged the bones of his fathers and it says the Chachamim of that generation, the sages of that generation conceded to him. That means they didn't oppose what he did. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit deeper when we learn about Chizkiyahu. Okay? But um, let's now um, look at one more very interesting Gemara. And this is, might be a question you asked yourself. In, in Sanhedrin 104, they ask a question in the Gemara here. For what reason did the Tanaim, did the rabbis in the Gemara, not enumerate Achaz among the kings with no share in the world to come? So what they're asking is here, is that we know there are three kings who have no share in the world to come. One is Yeravah Menavat. One is Ahab. Those are two kings from the kingdom of Israel. And one is Manasseh. He's a king of Judea. We're going to learn about 
couple chapters from now. Those are the three kings that have no share in the world to come. So what they're asking here, why is Nahaz one of them? After all, his wickedness is extensively recounted here. So Rabbi Yirmiyahu Bar Abba says, why is he not enumerated amongst those three? Because he is cast between two righteous people, between his father, Yotam, and his son, Chizkiyahu. So Rav Yormiel says, well, Ahaz has merit. He's a sandwich, you know, he's between two righteous kings. His father was Yotam. We saw how righteous he was. And his son, Chizkiyahu, was also very, very righteous. And that worked for Ahaz to save him out of being in hell for the rest of his life. Okay, so we'll get back to that opinion in a minute. Let's look at the next opinion. Rav Yosef says, why is he not enumerated amongst the kings who have no share in the world to come? Because of the embarrassment from Isaiah, the prophet. And then it brings a verse from Isaiah chapter 7. And we read this chapter in previous Shirim. We know that Isaiah and Ahaz had a lot of interaction. Isaiah was trying to convince Ahaz to do tshuva all the time. And it says in the verse there that Hashem said to Isaiah, go meet Ahaz at the... Uh, Highway of the Launderer's Field, which is Kovesa uh, Sadeh, the Launderer's Field. So why would the verse give that detail where you're going to meet Achaz? So they're going to glean off that, the Launderer's Field, that we learn from this, that Achaz concealed his face when he passed by Isaiah, and he placed a Launderer's Vessel, I guess like where you put your laundry, you put it in some vessel, he put it over his head and passed by the Prophet, so that Isaiah wouldn't be able to identify him. So the fact that he had shame, he had shame for what he was doing, for his conduct, that's a redeeming quality. And therefore, um, that, that trait shows that at least he cares that he's not behaving well. He's embarrassed to face the prophet. And so as for a king to put something like that over his head is pretty humiliating. So he gets uh, credit for that. And that's why he doesn't, have a, that's why he's not one of those kings who have no portion in the world to come. Now, then the Gomorrah goes back to the first opinion. And the first opinion said that um, Ahaz was saved by the fact that his father and son were righteous. But it goes on now. and says, well, what about Ammon? There was a king called Ammon. He was the son of Menashe. And he was as wicked as wicked could be, this Ammon. Why isn't he enumerated amongst the kings who have no place in the world to come? So they say because he had the merit of having a righteous son named Yoshiahu. Yoshiahu was very, very righteous. And therefore, in that merit, Ammon is not one of the three kings who have no place in the world to come. In to come. And then the Gomorrah says the following, then why is Menashe part of those three? Why is Menashe considered one of the kings who has no share in the world to come? After all, he had a righteous father, Chizkiahu. Why shouldn't that give him merit? And then the Gomorrah comes now to the, the conclusion here. I'll tell you why. The son confers merit upon the father, but the father does not confer merit upon the son. As it is written, none delivers from my hand. It's a verse in Deuteronomy. We learn from this, that Abraham could not deliver his son Yishmael from the judgment of heaven because he's the father. He can help his son in the next world to get to a better place. And Isaac was not able to help Esav get to the next world from, from, from heavenly judgment. The father isn't the one who's gonna save the son from that. And therefore, we learn from this, that Ahaz, what's the reason he wasn't enumerated? Because 
his son, Chizkiyahu. That is, it's not because of his father, Yotam. The father doesn't help when it comes to the next world. The son helps. And let's explain why. Because the father, well, the father is taking care of the son in this world, right? Halam Hazeh. He's taking care of his son. He's doing uh, Parnassa and raising his son in this world. But in the next world, well, the father can't help him anymore. It's the son who can help the father. The son will say Kaddish for his father and try to give him an Aliyah Nishama. And um, there's also more pr another practical reason for this. Why the son can save the father uh, from going to hell, okay? And it's because the son, uh, if he becomes very righteous, we figure that the father has something to do with it. He's got to get some credit for it, for raising a son who's righteous. At the very least, he got out of the way, out of the son's way and let him be a tzaddik and didn't discourage him from being righteous. And so therefore, Achaz, he had something to do with Chizkiyahu's righteousness. We have to say that. And that is uh, what saved him from being one of those kings who has no share in the world to come. So we can learn from this that if you're a, a father who is not going in the way of Torah, but your child is, well, you should be really happy about that because he can really, uh, he can really save you in the next world. And that's what counts, right? The eternal, your eternal place, your eternal share. That's where the sun comes in. And that's how we end the chapter.